we had a question sent in by by one of our listeners, Quadwa Humming, and it was asking how difficult is it, particularly as the Gambia manager, to imprint a style and a philosophy on a national team with such a variation of players. You know, you have players coming through the U20 system, you know, who did really well last year at the AFCOM. You know, most of your players are based in Europe or abroad, and then, you know, very few come from Gambia. How do you kind of imprint a, a philosophy onto a team where everyone is coming, you know, every time just for a week or two from all around the world? Yeah, even not for a week or two. Uh, I, I give you an example. When my first match was in September 2018 with Gambia, we played on a Thursday and my players flew in on a, on a Monday. So I had them on Tuesday and Wednesday. I had two training days and that was oh. it. Um, when we played uh, chart in March, um, they decided to play the first match on a Wednesday and the FIFA break starts on Monday. So the players had to fly from all over Europe on Monday. We trained on Tuesday and on Wednesday was the match. So it's, it's very limited. So it's, but the good thing is I worked in so many countries and I had similar situations. Okay, in Ethiopia, I had only local-based players. In Namibia, I had the majority local-based players. But for instance, in, in, in Togo, I had also all professional players. Um, and in Trinidad and Tobago, I had also no time. So I have a, a habit of, of being able to um, make the strategy as simple as possible to explain to players, um, both in the meeting room as on training ground. To, to teach them as fast as possible the basics from what I expect. And the second thing is choosing the players you think who can execute it. Um, many times national team coach, and I also get criticized for not selecting player A or B uh, because he is performing in, in a league, but maybe he is not suitable for the strategy you want to play. And, and that people forget, you, you cannot select any every player who is performing well uh, first of all you would have probably only strikers and no defenders in your selection secondly it's the type of game plan you have where you look for players and the luck I had in, in my style of playing in Gambia where I think people know it uh, play from a very good organization a very well disciplined uh, team that I had a lot of players who play their football in, in Italy I think I had six or seven players uh, playing in Italy, a country where coaches demand a lot of tactical discipline. And, and that helped also naturally. My choice for Italian-based players was also, they have the quality, but also they, have, they are used to the tactical demands from their coaches uh, and to implement them easier for us. But it's, it's not easy. Uh, so it's, it's, that's, that, that is so important for, for a coach to, to make the right choices. Like we played AFCON with players who played in fourth division in Sweden, Germany, Denmark, uh, England, and even fifth division in Switzerland. Um, we had players playing in the Premier League in, in, in Russia or other countries who were not there. Um, but the choice for certain players is because I knew 100% they will execute and implement what I want tactically in the short period of time we have together. And before AFCON, um, the, the FIFA date started 27 December. We had 12, um, 12 um, January, our first match. So we had two weeks and uh, we had a camp in Qatar, but in Qatar, uh, we had then the COVID strike and a lot of people would even couldn't travel. Uh, do you know that the first time I could train on training 11 against 11 uh, with two goalkeepers was 8 January in Cameroon was four days before our first match 
against Mauritania. That was the first time I could train 11 against 11. All the weeks, the, the one and a half week before, we could not play a friendly. We had to cancel our friendly against Algeria and Syria because uh, of the COVID and injuries and other and illness and these kind of things. Um, but we couldn't even train 11 against 11 on training. So 8 January was the first time I had the whole team put together. And still, because the players know what the coach expects, uh, selecting uh, a vast group of players is also very important. Um, that as a national team coach, and I learned that from, from, from Goose Hiddink. When Goose Hiddink was in 2002 um, in, the world, in the World Cup with, with South Korea, um, his assistant coach was Pim Verbeek. Uh, later, he became also national team coach of South Korea, Australia, and, uh, and uh, Oman. Sadly enough, the late Pim Verbeek, because he died on much too young age a few years ago, but I was in touch with him. And he told me that uh, when they started in Korea, um, they, they treated their uh, national team as a club team, not always changing uh, the players, um, but having a, a vast group of players, let's say 17, 18 players, who are always there, who know what the coach wants in and off the pitch, because it's not only what you want on the pitch in a game, but also uh, the attitude and, and the habits uh, in the camp, uh, from eating, from how to behave, uh, because it's it's a whole performance. If you're together in a hotel with young guys, um, it's easy to to get attracted to the wrong things. And it's important that you have a group who keep their focus on football. So that's also the reason that what I learned from Hiddink and Verbeek is you need to treat your national team as a club team. You don't need to change every camp, 10, 15 different players. You need to have that base who know exactly what to do and step by step, you include new players, but you don't change every camp of the players because you don't have the time to train and you don't have the time to explain everything, both from rules to, to on the pitch uh, strategy. So, uh, yeah, that's a little bit how to cope with the very limited time you have with players. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, this very much goes along with one of the other questions we had from Scott Gielen, which was kind of what are the challenges in, in tracking a national pool spread over you know, the entire world. I mean, I think I remember when we were speaking last time, you said you have 120 plus players in Europe, you have players playing in South Korea and stuff and kind of, yeah, it, it, what is the way, especially now, you know, you said some players are moving on, you know, how do you manage that where you're trying to get information and data and, you know, scouts from, you know, from all over the world? Yeah, to, to be honest, I do everything myself. I, um, I have a, a list of about 150 players who I follow all over the world on, on a weekly base. Um, the, the, the modern times make it a little bit easy. We have internet, we have a different website, Transfermarkt. We can Google on, on, on nationality, on country of birth, on second nationality, but even Google on names. Uh, I know all the, the Gambian names of the majority of the Gambian names. So if a player in, in a country has a certain name and he has maybe a different nationality, he could be uh, from Gambian descent. And, and the FIFA rule makes clear that if you are born in a country, you can play for a country. But also if you, one of your parents is born or one of your grandparents is born there. So I'm, I also in previous countries, I had that. So I really went uh, from day one. I had already before I started a whole list of possible Gambian players. And I, I, I was very active. The first year I lived full time in Gambia. I screened a lot of the players. I spoke with local coaches. I taught, saw all the talent. 
And then it was clear that the majority or almost all the players or even all the players uh, play outside uh, the Gambia. And then um, we decided that it was better that I travel a lot. And I travel a lot in Europe. I'm going to watch a lot of matches all over Europe, sometimes to players who I know, sometimes to players who I never saw before, only to convince or to, to have an idea of their qualities or to convince them. Um, I do that all out of my own pocket. I pay my own flights, my own hotels, my own uh, fuel, uh, because I'm passionate about my job and I, uh, I really want uh, to, to get the best for the team. And um, you can say, okay, you can work with scouts. And naturally, there are people sometimes giving me tips. I have in Italy, Alessandro Soli, an Italian scout who, who also follow football for me. But there's no one else better than me who can see if a player is suitable for me. Uh, because I know exactly what I want. Uh, I know exactly what I want from skills, from physical structure, from uh, attitude. Uh, so when I go for scouting and I talk to a player, um, things got easy, clear. Uh, is it the player I want or is it not the player I want? So um, I, I spend a lot of time in that, uh, but it's also my passion. And I think it's, it's important to do your job with passion. And in modern times, it's, it's easier because... One click on the internet and you have a lot of information, mm -hmm. but it's very, very interesting and sure because we don't have much time for friendly matches. It's very interesting to visit the players, to, to watch them in their uh, teams. And if we have training camps, I always try to invite a few new names to have a look at them and see uh, are they suitable for the team? Do, how do they adapt? Um, what is their level? And, and these kind of things. Mm -hmm. Oh, that sounds that sounds like a lot, you know, for the for those saying that, you know, club management is is where it's tough. You know, there's still a lot of work in, in the breaks between national team camps, for sure. I mean, just just going back to looking at the, the AFCON, obviously, for you guys, it was an amazing experience and you, you know, did perform brilliantly. But there were also some kind of issues off the pitch. You know, we had complaints from, you know, the, the Gambian side and as well as some other teams like Malawi about, you know, the state of their hotels and the way they were treated in terms of COVID regulations, things like that, you know, how, what was, what was your experience like in, in Cameroon and how did you deal with it? First of all, I have to say that it was a fantastic tournament. I really enjoyed it. I played uh, the golf cup in, in Bahrain. I, I played the, the AFC cup under 17 in Japan, uh, qualified there with under Qatar under 17 for the world cup long ago in 2004. And I played Kosafa and Sikafa cups. Uh, for me, this Africa Cup was the best. Uh, it was a fantastic experience. The fans were amazing. Uh, the stadiums were fantastic. Uh, I had luck that we, we, we saw a lot of, of, of Cameroon because we, we stayed um, in, long till the quarterfinal. We were in, in Limbe, we were in uh, Bafusam, and we were in, uh, in Douala. Um, so, fantastic, amazing football country and a fantastic experience. Um, COVID-wise, um, we didn't experience really a problem. We had one player who tested positive and one staff member. Um, and I, But what I hear from other teams is that um, not all the teams uh, treated COVID as it had to be. Uh, I hear that some certain teams had COVID cases, but didn't put these play people in quarantine. They were still sleeping in the same room. They were still eating together with uh, people or traveling with the bus. Yeah, then that means a little bit lack of knowledge of, of COVID. Uh, what we did, and we had uh, since 2020, the support of government and most of all federation, we had single rooms for every player and every staff member uh, because that was crucial. If someone had COVID, but he sleeps in a single room, the chances is limited that it spread. 
we had uh, obligation made to every player uh, to wear masks walking around in the hotel sitting in the bus you wear masks flying you wear masks so uh, we were very strict in that and our medical team followed up also the temperature we had every morning temperature checks from every player so we were as a team very well prepared and I, I cannot say that uh, Cameroon or organization was manipulating anything uh, to COVID. I, the stories were there about Malawi, about Comoros, but later I heard that, for instance, Comoros, what I heard was, was not putting people in quarantine uh, when they had COVID and then it spreads very easy naturally. Um, so uh, I don't think there was any problem in that. It's maybe the, the lack of experience. Uh, I had a very, I have a very good medical team and, and we had a lot of experience with it. So uh, we, we didn't struggle with it. We had only the struggle with COVID when we started the camp, but that were the people who brought it from Europe and from, from Gambia. Upon arrival in their first test, they had COVID. And, and, and then it spread in the first days. But the moment we arrived in Cameroon, we had one case, Ibrima Darbu from AS Roma. Strangely enough, he tested also positive in Qatar two weeks earlier. And he tested positive in, in, in Morocco uh, one month ago. So in the last three months, he had three times positive tests on COVID. And strangely, two days later, he tested always negative. Uh, so um, maybe it's something in his blood. Uh, or I don't know, I'm not a medical person, but um, we had no problems with that. We had a fantastic first hotel and a good atmosphere there, but then we had to move to Bafusan. Uh, we were in Bana, and um, I explained that already that time in the press conference. We were not as satisfied with, with the hotel because the hotel was not the same standard as what we used in Boya, where we played in Limbe. And also later when we went to Douala, we had a top standard hotel. Only that hotel, what we had at that period of time, was not standard. And we had food poisoning, same as Kafer, the same evening in the same hotel where around 10 players got very sick. One had to get on an infuse. Two players dropped out an hour before the game. Saidi Yangu with blood pressure under 90. And uh, and also Ibu Touré from Salford, who had to drop out uh, 30 minutes before the game because he was almost fainting. Uh, so uh, there were some problems. But uh, we managed it and... and um, uh, in general, okay, at that moment as a coach, I, I addressed it in the press conference because I want to fight for my team and for my nation. I want also to, to use it as a quality and a strength for my players to be more uh, ready to, to fight against a common enemy. Uh, but in general, I have to say that the tournament was, was a fantastic tournament. Um, very well organized, uh, fantastic football country with a great atmosphere. And uh, the only thing I can say, we were very sad that we had to leave one week too early. Uh, we were ready to stay till the end, um, but it, it was a great experience. I, that, that's that's really good to hear. I mean, you you guys, you know, you're saying it's a shame you had to leave early, but I want to ask, what was it like when you left and arrived back at Gambia? What was the reception like? How was how was that experience? Yeah, we first of all when we were got, got kicked out by Cameroon. Yeah, it was expectable by, by, by everyone, but we were very down. Uh, for us, it was a cold shower and we were really, a lot of players were crying. And for me, it took a long, many days, even more than days, more than weeks uh, to, to recover from the defeat against Cameroon. It's strange, you start as an underdog and no one expects you to reach that far. But don't forget, people talk about country as Comoros, but Comoros played four games, 1-1 and lost three. Gambia played five games, 
lost only one against Cameroon. We conceded before the Cameroon match only one goal from Mali, a penalty, and uh, we won Mauritania, we won Guinea-Conakry, we won Tunisia. So we were really in a winning mood and, 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 and we had really the intention to reach the final and to become African champion, knowing that it would be almost unrealistic. But when you reach there, you get addicted to, to, to the game and to the, to the tournament. And it was really a, a huge disappointment that we got kicked out. Um, so so uh, the, the feeling of having done something amazing was not the feeling what was uh, on top of everything. The feeling was more the disappointment of shit, we are kicked out and uh, we really wanted to stay longer. I think that's the winner mentality, what you need to achieve things not be satisfied uh, with things but always wanting more and that's positive uh, that can make us stronger um yeah going back to gambia i i didn't even go back to gambia and the majority of our staff and players didn't go back to gambia because we were stuck in in in, in uh, douala uh, for three days and players had to return to their clubs and clubs were demanding their players back and uh, we were waiting for a plane what what would not come it was almost waiting for godot uh, and um, on the end, at night, uh, on Tuesday night, we got kicked out on, on, on Saturday. On Tuesday night, finally, there was a plane going and the players arrived at night, but they never had the, the celebration with the fans as what we expected, what other nations had. Um, so there was never a, a round trip by bus. There was never a celebration with the fans. There were some fans at the airport in the middle of the night, but it was never a big celebration. And they got hosted by the president of the country for, for half an hour, and that was it. So it was that was a little bit of disappointment because everyone saw how in the past Madagascar, but also in the current tournament, so many nations uh, welcomed their heroes. Uh, we didn't have that, and that was really disappointing because... Yeah, you wanted to drive around on a, on a bus and sitting on the roof and uh, celebrating. The fans were ready for it, uh, because, but because of the delay of the return flight, it never happened. That is such, such a disappointment. I mean, just from my perspective, covering the tournament, you know, my whole, especially in the build-up to that quarterfinal, my whole Twitter and Facebook, every social media feed was just clogged up with Gambians just talking about their support and uh, that's such a disappointment because I know it's such a, a football crazy, crazy nation. I mean, Looking now in towards the future, we had an, another question from, from Yar El Shabore saying, you know, the AFCON was a huge success for the team, but you know, now what needs to happen to ensure that you can consistently become competitive and you can consistently start qualifying to AFCON? You know, how do you avoid being, you know, like a Madagascar and, and just a one-off team? Um, a few things are important in, in, in that development. First of all, we as coaching staff and players, we have to be, like I said, realistic. Uh, we, we don't have to think now that we are Barcelona, Manchester City or uh, a national team that we are Algeria or Senegal. We are still a small football nation who performed very well. Um, and we will have to start every game with 0-0. We have to be modest, we have to be humble and we have to respect our opponents. We have to prepare ourselves well and we have, will have to play in a, in a, in a strategy at the moment we think as individuals that we can play football free out of strategy and then then we will lose every match and that's also sometimes my fear because uh, okay we played some well organized football and and the there are fans who then shout hey, but we are good in striking let's play attacking football it's proven in the past in gambia that when gambia play attacking football they lose the matches we had problems with djibouti we had problems with chad 
um, because then we are forced to play more attacking football. And before my arrival, don't forget that Gambia um, had their last competitive win in September 2013 and that they were five years without a competitive win till I arrived in, in, in 2018, July 2018. So, um, I mean, thinking now, and, and there were many players, the Omar Collies, the Pamadou Jans, the Asan Sises were already years before I came already playing for the national team. So um, we have to be modest. We have to respect the strategy. We have to, to keep our feet on the ground and play according to strategy. That's the first thing. The next thing is to become a regular and to become a, a respected country as Senegal or other African nations. Um, the, the individual development of players will be very important. We have players in big clubs, but the majority of our players in big clubs are not playing. We have a lot of players who don't get game time or very limited game time in the clubs in Europe. And so when we want to, to, to develop as a football nation, to be a powerhouse, to compete with on a regular base, to compete with the big nations in African football, it will be very important that the young lads we have develop into regulars in, in, in European top-class football. Uh, we have players like Ibrima Colli in, in Spezia, Ibrima Darbu in AS Roma, um, others, uh, Sulmamari in Ghent, but these guys didn't play a minute the whole season. Uh, so then, then, then you have to look from, if they develop and they're going to be regulars and play regular in, in, in European clubs in, in the highest level, then Cambian football will be also uh, developing in the way that we can compete on a regular base to qualify 2023, 2025, and why not, inshallah, 2026 World Cup. Um, but these two things are very important. Ourselves, our, our own take to games with being respectful for opponents and not overrating ourselves. And secondly, the individual development of players. The, the other thing I wanted to ask is, is we have seen a couple of reports come in the last couple of weeks for, uh, kind of from, from Gambian journalists saying that, you know, some of the players haven't actually been paid some of the bonuses for, for the AFCON. Um, do you take care to comment on that and your own situation? No, but it, it, it's, it, it's, it's correct information. It's only a little bit sad that and the news comes out the moment the Federation uh, has already agreed to do the payment the coming weeks. Uh, it's so that the Federation always communicated very open and clear to the players and staff about uh, missing bonuses. Uh, they were waiting for funds coming from CAF. And the moment the funds from CAF arrived, they communicated to the players, hey guys and staff, we have received the money. Um, this is the next step of payment. And so um, it's a little bit uh, sad and we are in a year of, 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 of elections in, in Gambian football where uh, presidency is at stake of the federation. Um, and, and sometimes I think information is, is also leaked and, 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 and uh, framed uh, to, to, to more manipulate things than only to help the case. Like I said, I'm not so worried. Um, I have very close contact with federation president and, and all the board members. And uh, they assured us long before the message was leaked uh, into the media of the, the informal sneak that the money will be paid the coming weeks. So I'm, 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 I have no reason to doubt it. Mm -hmm. That's good. And, and hopefully that, that'll come in in the next, next couple of weeks. I mean, you've spoken a lot about how to you know, move on from the AFCON, how to build for the next one. And you, you know, 
you, you've talked a lot about keeping grounded as a squad. And, you know, I guess fortunately or unfortunately, Gambia, the only team who are at the AFCON who have to had to play this preliminary qualifier for the next AFCON because of your kind of ranking previous to the tournament. You know, how was the experience of, of playing Chad? Obviously, it was really tight. And, you, you know, you're talking about a lack of preparation. You know, what is it like now coming back as a camp, you know, as a team now qualified for the the qualifiers for the next AFCON? What is the kind of mood in the team and how was that experience of playing Chad over the two legs? Yeah, first of all, I think it's uh, it's ridiculous that a country who becomes sixth on the Africa Cup of Nations have to play less than two months later, a pre-qualification for the next AFCON. It's respectless and uh, it could have been avoided very easy, uh, postponing the draw two weeks. I mean, now they did the draw five weeks before uh, the qualification uh, for the group stage. They could have waited also two or three weeks longer, to wait after AFCON to have the last update of the FIFA ranking and, and, and then make the draw. Because uh, when we started AFCON, we were 115 in the world, as you addressed in your opening uh, of this interview. Um, we were uh, 150 and the worst ever ranked African team to qualify for Africa Cup. Uh, but we improved. Uh, currently, we are 123. On the end of the AFCON, we were 125. Uh, there, at the moment that AFCON was finished, there were 21 African nations uh, worse than us um, on the FIFA ranking. Uh, but when they did the draw, we were still by the eight worst countries in the in the, in the ranking. So, uh, or you wait two three weeks longer to do the draw and have a fair, actual um, perspective of of the ranking of teams, or you say the teams who are qualified for Afcon uh, don't play pre-qualification. You could do also they are immediately qualified to Afcon because it would have been terrible for the development. So I was not happy with that draw. Also knowing that. Strange enough, we had the most difficult opponent possible. I mean, we could have played with all respect for the nations. We could have played uh, Sao Tome and Principe. We could have played Seychelles. We could have played uh, Mauritius or, or these kind of countries. But Chad is a very good football country. Chad played also qualification last time in the group with uh, Namibia, uh, Guinea-Conakry and I think Mali. And they drew even uh, with Guinea-Conakry. And Chad has professional players in France, in the Belgian Premier League. So Chad is not uh, an easy country to play against. It's a, it's a good team and they did a great job. So before the matches, I was really not happy. Uh, I liked to, I would have preferred to use this uh, window to, to, to prepare my new team. I mean, some players stopped playing football after the World Cup of after the Africa Cup. I had to select new players for different positions. So I really had preferred to, to have two games, friendly games in March, uh, to select certain players for certain positions like other countries could do. But we were forced in, in, into these qualification games. And it was tough, as I predicted. We won 0-1 in the last minute in chat. Uh, I have to say that in chat, we, we played very well. We were fully controlled. We had a lot of opportunities. They had some counterattacks, but the, we were really in control of it. But the return match in, in, in at home, in, at home, we couldn't play at home. And Chad away, we played in Cameroon in Yaoundé, and Cam and Gambia home, we played in Agadir in Morocco because because of the the, the stadiums of both countries are uh, not ready to play games according to FIFA and CAF. Um, and so we had to play in in, in Morocco, leading zero one from the previous match, uh, but it was very tough because Chad has, first of all, quality. They were well prepared and they were very motivated. They were more aggressive in a positive way, more eager, more 
more hungry uh, in the return game and we had to wait till the dying minutes to make the equalizer to bring us the qualification and uh, um, we had the same experience with Djibouti uh, in 2019 when we went in group stage and later won it ahead of Gabon, Dier Congo and Angola and now we had again a tough experience so I think these pre-qualifications I know now because of our FIFA ranking in the future 2025 if everything goes normal, we don't have to play pre-qualification, but it was it was not not a pleasant experience. Um, but we went through it, and uh, I think it makes it stronger. And let me say that I can be happy that it went that we went through in a difficult way, because it's a sign for my players that we have to keep our feet on the ground, that nothing will be easy, that facing South Sudan, uh, Congo Brazzaville, and um, and uh, and uh, Mali. Will be again tough opponents and that we have to play uh, with a lot of respect for our opponents because that we are not yet a powerhouse in African football. So how how much I hated the pre-qualification, I think I can use it in in in, in the mindset preparation of our players uh, for the coming qualifiers in June. Mm-hmm. And you know you alluded to it there in, in terms of the qualification against against Chad playing outside of Gambia, you know, it might be likely that you'll have to play the whole qualification as well, you know, whether it's Senegal or Morocco, you know, how does that impact you both in terms of your preparation for these qualifiers, but also just, you know, for the players, you know, not being able to play in front of, you know, a, a big crowd at home. How does that impact your preparation? Yeah, naturally we were looking forward to play for our own crowds also because we had no celebration after the qualification. Uh, on the other side, we have to be also fair. When we qualified for the 2021-22 AFCON, uh, we played at home against Gabon in COVID times without fans. And we qualified against Angola in COVID times also without fans. So two of our three home games uh, in the previous qualification uh, were at home, but without fans. Um, but the biggest difference is naturally the climate, the stadium, the hotel, um, for players also to meet their families. Um, to, to be home in your own country, to 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 to, to play at home. What we noticed, uh, for instance, when we played in Agadir, was that people of the Moroccan organization had no clue that we were the home team. Um, so we were not allowed to train where we wanted. Uh, they were even giving advantage to chat. We really had to fight to say, hey, but we are the home team. This is not a neutral ground. Chad played home already. Now it's our home ground. Chad can play that day in that stadium, but in training for infrastructure, we have the priority. If we want to train on pitch A, mm-hmm. Chad cannot play, train on pitch A, they can train on pitch B, but this is our home now. Uh, but uh, the Moroccans didn't understand that for one way. So, um, that, and that are small things because, I mean, it gets irritation in the group, also in the hotel, in, in uh, things. And you want to be treated as 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 a host, as 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 the best team. The the small advantages you have when you play at home is that you can train more in your own stadium, that you know the weather circumstances, that you have more control over the food, the hotel serves, and this kind of stuff. So that falls away when you play abroad. Uh, if it's in Senegal or it's in, uh, in in Morocco, it will never be the same. Senegal is closer, and sure, Senegalese fans probably will support us. Um, also, more Gambian fans will be able to come to Senegal, but still, it's not our home ground. It's not our stadium. It's not our 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 pitch. It's not our hotel. It's not it's not ours. And and it has a negative effect. It's a little bit strange that 
I believe 26 countries cannot play at home. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if the stadiums in, are in that bad uh, situation that you can't play or if the rules are a little bit too strict uh, for the circumstances. I mean, if you could play last year in March still at home and now not in March, it's a little bit in one year, uh, the stadium can't be that bad or the situation can be not that much changed. So a little bit sad, but it's, I'm a, I'm a football man. I'm not an organizational man, not involved in, the, in the, the stadium infrastructure and in the rules by CAF and FIFA. Uh, so I have to accept and I will play where we have to play. Absolutely. I mean, I just want to ask you finally what, one last question, Tom. You know, you've, you've got to the quarterfinals of, of the AFCON, you know, now going into 2023, what what is the goal? What is the target for for you? And what is the goal for for the Gambian Federation? Yeah, I think everyone wants to qualify again. I mean, the the taste of the Africa Cup in Cameroon was very sweet, um, and um, yeah, we we want to taste that again. Uh, once you tasted, I told you already when we were kicked out, it was really uh, a huge disappointment. Uh, it was not so from all okay. We reached quarterfinal now, we are happy. No, we were very disappointed and everyone is ready to fight and battle to, to, to go again. But we know it's Mali is a good football nation. Congo Brazzaville is a very good football nation. Uh, and also South Sudan can't be underestimated. We played all three countries the last two years. Mali and Afcon, we played a draw against them. Against uh, South Sudan, we played last year in October in Morocco and we won 2-1. And against um, uh, Congo Brazzaville, we played in 2020 in October in Portugal, friendly and 1-1-0. But that doesn't say anything. Uh, we, we are the third-ranked team in this group, and we will have to battle for every point. I think it's a little bit similar group as the group we qualified with Gabon, DRC, and, and Angola. It will be There's not one, there's not a Nigeria, not a Cameroon, or not an Algeria in it. So it are teams who are more equal, and it will be very narrow on the end. Uh, the point difference will be very limited uh, and will decide who will qualify. So our aim is now to qualify and we don't look further than that because that would be deadly. Uh, qualifying is the main task. And if we can do that, uh, it would be amazing because if Gambia can qualify twice in a row for Africa Cup, that would be already a world achievement for the country. Absolutely. And I mean, for those of us who are, who are neutrals, I mean, I'm sure... Most would agree with me. We want to see the Scorpions back at the AFCON. They were such a brilliant addition. Coach, thank you so much for, for joining us today at, uh, around Africa's biggest bri. And if you're listening to those who are listening to the podcast, you know it doesn't end here. We keep going online. The discussion and the debate continues. Come find us at OTW underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And just search On The Whistle podcast on Facebook and YouTube to find us. And we're ev- wherever you get your podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and everywhere else. Thank you so much, Coach. Really, really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Looking forward to talk soon again.